0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series where I take a deep dive into the Miller and Chevalier Chartered 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. In this podcast series, I visit with lawyers from Miller's FCPA and International Anti-Corruption Practice Group. They focus on matters involving the FCPA, money laundering, business and human rights, and other areas of international corporate compliance. They have experience with every facet of FCPA enforcement, from inception to completion, including developing work plans for international investigations, conducting internal investigations, developing remediation strategies, disclosing issues to the U.S. government, and negotiating resolutions with the government as well as developing strategies for collateral issues, selecting independent monitors, and interfacing with independent monitors. If you ever find yourself in the need for an FCPA or international anti-corruption lawyer, check out any of these lawyers from Miller & Chevalier. Over this series, I will visit with James Tillen, Matt Ellis, Alejandro Almonte, and Greg Bates. In this episode, I'm joined by firm members Matt Allison, and James Tillon, and we take a retrospective look back at the firm's Latin American Corruption Survey over the past 12 years, beginning in 2008 and done every four years going forward. It's a fascinating review. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm extraordinarily thrilled to uh, present the final episode in our five-part exploration of the Miller & Chevalier 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. Today I have back with me James Tillen and Matt Ellis, and we're going to take a sort of a retrospective look back uh, of the survey. Both of these guys have been involved in it for quite some time. It's been going on since 2008, and as many of my listeners know, I'm taking a sort of a 10-year uh, retrospective on a variety of compliance topics, so it seemed like it was a natural way to, to wrap up this series. So gentlemen, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome Thanks,
1: Tom. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you, Tom.
0: So um, if we could pick maybe one region in the world where the perception of corruption has changed the most over the past 12 years, I would certainly nominate uh, Latin America. But uh, what has the survey told you guys and more importantly, the firm and the partner firms that you use to help uh, create this survey? What has the data really shown you all?
2: Well, James, I can jump in. Um, So, you know, I think big picture, when you look at what respondents are saying over the last 10, 12 years um, about risk is overall, they think corruption risk is going up. In 2008, uh, sorry, in 2012, you had 44% of respondents saying that corruption is a significant obstacle to doing business. That goes up to forty-eight percent in two thousand and sixteen, and now we're above half. Fifty-four percent of respondents are calling corruption a significant obstacle.
0: So, Matt, um, James, and I touched on this briefly in his podcast, and and one of the things that struck me, and as you know, I've always practiced in Houston, in the, the epicenter of the energy industry. Could one of the reasons the perception be going up is simply that that it's building upon itself that? There was such a concerted effort. We've had multiple law changes, which we'll get into, but people are much more aware of it. And not only are they more aware of it, they're more willing to kind of raise their collective hand and speak up. So I guess the question I would pose to the both of you all is, is that really necessarily a negative thing or is it maybe just more awareness?
2: James, you want to take that one? I'm happy to add a couple of thoughts.
1: I think awareness does contribute to this. And I, I tend to think of it as like a hydra because some of these corruption scandals, the, the enforcement authorities take one swipe at a corruption action. And all of a sudden you see six others, uh, corruption enforcement actors come out of it and, and it and it grows and it grows and it grows. And on one hand, that's great that they're enforcing their laws and they're going after it. And I'm thinking, you know, as a great example, this is Lava Giotto. But on the other hand, it, it it shines a spotlight on how bad the issue is and how endemic corruption is in a in, in a particular country, and and that can lead to some pessimism when some of these enforcement actions drag on for years, uh, and particularly when some of the the most culpable people might escape uh, any enforcement action at all. And so you you see, yes, some people do go to jail, uh, some laws are enforced, but. Sometimes the, the big fish, the most powerful, the most culpable get away with it all. And that, so that increased awareness with, coupled with some of those other factors can, can lead to some very pessimistic views about the problem of corruption, even though enforcement has, has increased. And so our numbers are a bit mixed in that there are some very pessimistic numbers. But the, on the other hand, there are some optimistic numbers, more awareness, of, of uh, or, or feeling that it's least li- less likely that you're going to be losing business to a competitor for example so that's that's a positive but then you also have what Matt was citing about uh, corruption being considered a corrupt uh, a significant obstacle
2: yeah and maybe I can add to that I mean and I agree I think awareness is a critical factor and then the next question is um, how are respondents aware of corruption risk and the data is showing that that, appears to be changing. If you look back at 2008 and you ask respondents about which government areas are seen as most corrupt, what the respondents are telling you are things like the police, municipal and state levels. These are areas that, you know, you and I, I mean, I've been asked for bribe requests in Brazil, right? Um, Now, with all of this knowledge of the Lava Jatos, the blockbuster cases... People have awareness from other sources. And so now when they're telling you what government areas are highest risk, they're telling you the legislatures, political parties, um, uh, judicial branch, etc. cetera. So that is shifting over the years, given these, this blockbuster invest, investigation uh, environment.
0: Another area that I've found just really stunning in the development in, of Latin America is in the area of anti-corruption laws. Obviously, Brazil led the way with the Clean Companies Act, and uh, Matt and I were able to explore not only that law, but really the uh, plethora of laws that came out for other countries in the Latin American region. So I was wondering if uh, you guys would have some thoughts about the development of a true body of anti-corruption legislation throughout the region and how you see uh, enforcement moving across the region.
2: Maybe I'll take the first crack. You know what the data is starting to show is that these countries that have adopted stronger uh, anti-corruption laws to do things like establish corporate liability uh, for corrupt acts, these countries that have issued their own compliance guidelines and standards. We advise the Columbia government on its standards they have respondents that are set, that are, are telling us that their companies are doing more on compliance. They the Respondents from those countries are more optimistic that their companies are taking compliance more seriously. It's something we're going to continue to track in 2024, um, but it does appear to be making some difference. Yeah, and,
1: and Tom, on this, it's what's interesting is comparing some of those laws, particularly comparing them to U.S. standards, and so, obviously, we have the DOJ and SEC recently amending the FCPA resource guide to to tweak the hallmarks of an effective compliance program. Well, a lot of those hallmarks are picked up in these in these various legislations, uh, and so you, you it, it informs. You can see how co- countries are looking at each other for lessons learned and incorporating that into their legislation, and it also means that companies that are doing business throughout the region. Obviously, should not just be worried about the FCPA, but should be worried about these other laws. Consider the the the, the compliance standards that's expected in these countries because they may differ. They may be less in some regards, but they may be more. So, for example, Mexico's anti-corruption law uh, has uh, expectations regarding hiring practices. That's not really touched on much in the hallmarks, but it is an aspect of Mexican law, and so it it it, it makes it more important on these multinationals who are doing business in in many countries to consider what the compliance standards are in each of those countries to make sure that they have a program that addresses all of them.
0: Now, I next like to turn to the progression of views on corruption risks, really around specific countries. And I know uh, Matt and I really, I think took a little bit deeper dive into this, but um, when I look at Latin America, I see obviously Brazil is, is leading the way both in uh, recognition awareness, uh, legislation, and then enforcement. But um, how do you guys see the risk as, as either flowing uh, up to Central and, and North America, or is it, is it more organic uh, within the Latin American region? Well,
2: I would say, you know, when you look back at how people are ranking country risk through our survey since 2008, In many ways, you know, the um, risk rankings have remained static. People continue to tag Mexico, Venezuela, Ecuador, Brazil as high risk as we discussed on our session. But what you also see is that some countries are able to uh, break away from that trend. In particular, Peru, the responses this year in 2020 are striking related to Peru in consideration of everything Peru's been doing over the last four years. Right. In terms of investigating high profile business and polit- and political people in the country uh, and in terms of uh, the new administration really sending a message on anti-corruption. And that appears to be having an effect because respondents are rating Peru as lower risk than they had before.
1: What you can also see, though, is some backsliding. So, for example, Chile always scores well in TI and in, in prior editions of our survey, 2008, 2012, 2016, Chile and the U.S. were the two uh, seen as the best countries as far as corruption in the region. Well, Chile's uh, numbers are still Higher, better than many in the in the region, but they're but they're going down, and some recent corruption scandals are contributing to that. So it's you got to not you know always just assume things are static. You got to look at the individual numbers because Chile's changing, Peru's improving. Uh, you talked about Central America. You're right. Con- with the exception of Costa Rica, the numbers there are particularly bad for El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. But Costa Rica, their scores are, are very good in comparison to their neighbors. And so it is, you can't just assume the region's the same. You can't uh, assume sub areas of the region are the same. You really got to look at a country by country basis and how they've changed over the years.
0: One of the most uh, powerful visuals I found in the report was a chart where you listed really the maturity levels of uh, legislation, anti-corruption enforcement and some other factors and I was wondering if you could maybe speak about how does a country move uh, from from very immature to perhaps a little more mature up to uh, kind of the top of the line and, and whether you see a real power in, in uh, that finding.
1: What our survey does is ask questions about individual compliance components, uh, everything from whether you have a policy to training, contract terms, gifts, travel and entertainment, whether you have a compliance officer, at least 12 uh, compliance components. And through that, we can see whether what companies are doing in each of these countries with respect to those compliance components. And we've seen a, a, a really striking uh, development since we've been doing this since 2008, where some countries, particularly ones that have passed legislation in, encouraging compliance, have moved from having. Maybe a couple of these components, maybe the policy, maybe the training to now having most or if not all of these compliance components that you would expect from, say, U.S. enforcement authorities. And so you've seen uh, countries uh, move from what we would consider least developed or developing into most developed. So Argentina, Chile, Costa Rica, Peru, Uruguay, all advanced into that most developed category since the last survey, uh, Guatemala and Honduras shifted from least developed to, to developing. And so it's a really good picture. Unfortunately, you still have some laggards like Bolivia, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay. So you, it's not consistent across the region. It is led by some of these countries that have passed the legislation encouraging their companies to adopt compliance programs as, as uh, a fine mitigant or uh, to even avoid Uh, Enforcement authority, enforcement action altogether.
2: And just to add to that, you know, what I find so exciting about this data point is it reflects what we're seeing on the ground. I mean, Tom, you and I, and James, you and I have had our fair share of you know, meals together in the Brazils of Latin, you know, and Argentina's in the region. And to see these compliance communities develop and very, you know, and, and putting together homegrown compliance solutions and leading the charge. And, you know, that's reflected in the, in the data. And then the second thing I would offer is that this data is extremely valuable for compliance officers because it educates them on what to expect when you are growing out your operations in a certain country. Will it, is this a market where, you know, counterparties are used to completing due diligence questionnaires? Will they be offended when you're asking for certifications? Um, Will you need to educate them on compliance best practices or not?
0: And so that, Matt, really leads into the last topic I wanted to explore in depth with you all. We talked about corruption perception risk. We've talked about anti-corruption legislation. We talked about enforcement of that legislation. And I now like to turn to compliance programs, compliance activities, the compliance community, because this is the area that I've not only seen, but personally experienced really the most stunning growth. I started going to Latin America, I think, in 2014. And um in 2014, I would have said there's some enthusiastic people. Uh, they're really probably where the U.S. was in 10 years before that. Uh, the last time I went was in 2019, and it was like we're 1A and they're 1B. Um, it was just stunning. But I'd like to maybe ask you all both not only about the increase in compliance programs, but the increase in professionalism you both have observed from compliance professionals in in the Latin American region.
2: Uh, Maybe I can jump in. You know, well, first, what the data tells us is over time, the type of compliance practices that companies in the region, operating in the region are undertaking, are growing more sophisticated. So to the extent we're seeing that, well, that's what the data is telling us as well. You know, you have percentages of companies saying they have full-time compliance personnel steadily going up. You have more companies saying that they're conducting assessments and audits, which, as you know, is a key uh, part of the compliance picture. And it's also a part that's often missed. Um, At the same time, I think um, those assessments and audits might not have the level of rigor that especially FCPA enforcement officials would expect. You know, when when the rubber hits the road, um, we often see a need for perhaps more, Um, more detailed, rigorous attention. But nonetheless, at least companies are thinking about it. Um, And so I do think there's a growing level of sophistication. Uh, Again, it's exciting to see, and we're learning as much from our local counterparts as they are learning from us, I imagine.
1: Yeah, it's quite amazing when you consider, for example, the size of the Brazilian compliance bar. It's amazing, including our good friend, Aloy Rizzo and survey partner at Demarest, the, the number of practitioners in this area is fantastic. When we started the survey in two thousand and eight, it was very difficult to find some partners in some of these countries we were trying to to do this in. And consequently we only covered eight countries in that first survey. Now we're covering nineteen countries and it's no problem finding law firms in all these countries that are practice in this area that actually have a dedicated compliance practice that they advise their clients on. And it just shows I mean that that's a data point right there that's that that you know we've experienced, and now we have very enthusiastic survey partners. In 2008, we met a little resistance of people. You can't ask these questions. This is offensive. You know this will turn people off. Now, no problem. This is this this is something we talk about all the time. We advise on all the time, and so if the buy-in from from other law firms is 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 uh, incredible.
0: James, that one of your points brings up the last really issue I wanted to explore with you all, and it's not something we've we've really talked about, but I've really been wanting to ask you all. This is, of course, entitled the Miller and Chevalier 2020 Latin American Survey, but you make clear that you have 14 partner firms assisting in this. This is not a U.S. law firm looking down into Latin America, opining on what it may or may not think is is going on. This is you guys engaging local partners to help you do the spade work, to come up with actionable data. And I wanted if to see if you guys could maybe talk about the partnership that I see going on here between Miller and its, and its partner firms in the survey, but also really the power of this survey that it's not a U.S. law firm looking into Latin America. It's Latin Americans telling us, here's what we're seeing, here's what we're feeling, here's what we're doing, and here's how you can uh, use that information. And, and so I just kind of wanted to maybe go into that part of the survey.
2: I would say that manifests itself in many ways, one of which is the fact that the percentage of respondents from the region, from local companies, from regional companies in the region is significant. You know, there's this assumption that, oh, this is just a lot of people working at multinationals and obviously, you know, they will already have compliance practices in place. No, these are people, including, you know, business people from smaller companies, local companies who are telling us these things. So, Partnering law firms allows us to penetrate these markets in a way that we might not otherwise be able to do.
1: That's exactly right. There, there, a lot of these firms advise on a variety of issues, and so they're sending it out to their contacts. That could be, you know, mom and pop shops up to to, as Matt said, some of these regional but still local. Uh, locally based companies. And so you're getting a much better, more accurate picture of what it's like on the ground than you would by just surveying companies that are publicly listed in the United States that happen to do business in Latin America. So sure. Some of those people are our respondents, but we also have this mix. And so it does allow us to actually, and and you'll see in some of our answers, we do compare and contrast, for example, on some of these compliance uh, uh, steps, uh, multinationals versus Regional and local companies to see to see if the trends are, lines are the same. And sure, there's some differences, but the trends are going in the same directions, which is which is impressive. So it, these compliance expectations are penetrating down to this local level, which is which is helpful for the multinational because that's that's obviously where they're drawing from their suppliers, their partners, their third parties, and so it's it's really much more accurate data because we're working with these these local law firms.
2: And another story it tells is just the enormous impact that the FCPA has had in the region. You know, when you're asking those local companies, companies that don't appear to be subject to FCPA jurisdiction, not publicly traded in the United States, um, perhaps not doing business, these aren't U.S. nationals, they, for a large part, are aware of the FCPA. And when you ask, for the first time we did this year, we asked respondents, You know which countries do you think will lead the effort in anti-corruption enforcement going forward? And the highest percentage was for the United States. Sixty-one percent of respondents said that the United States will continue to lead enforcement, which is striking because you know in a history of anti-imperialism, that relationship with the United States to have respondents looking to the United States for leadership really tells you something.
0: Gringo Yankee. (laughs) <laughs> uh, gentlemen, unfortunately we're near the end of the time here for this podcast and this series, but I really wanted to thank both of you all on behalf of the firm from the compliance community. This is a fabulous report. It is data, data, data that really any compliance practitioner who does business anywhere south of Texas can utilize. So uh, it's been a great podcast series and thank you again for taking the time to visit with me.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, much appreciated.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special five-part podcast series on the Miller & Chevalier 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. I've linked to the three versions of the report, English, Spanish, and Portuguese, in the show notes. So uh, please download the report and check it out. If you're doing any business in Latin America, this is an absolute must-read, must-use resource that uh, you need to uh, take a look at. This special five part podcast series has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If your firm or your company would like to do a special podcast series, please contact me. I'm Tom Fox at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.